Okay, so Ryan Tov, we continue in our Sefer Sha'orim Batfilah. And uh, we're finishing up the first expression of prayer of Bitsur. And the Medrash at the end of Sefer Dvarim tells us something very awesome about Moshe's prayers that he did, that he prayed about wanting to enter into Eretz Yisrael. And this is just a summary of what the Medrash says. At that time when Moshe wanted to pray to go into Eretz Yisrael, he put on sackcloth. He uh, put uh, ashes on himself. He was praying before Hashem until the heavens and the earth and the foundations of creation were shaking. At that time, what did Hashem do? He made an announcement at every one of the gates of the firmaments and every, so to speak, based uh, in uh, that was in the spiritual realm to not accept Moshe's prayers. And they should not ascend before him because the decree was already sealed. And at that time, Hashem is calling out in, in great confusion, as it were, when he says to the ministering angels to go down with haste and lock up all the gates of the heavens because his prayers are coming up and they want to get through. And he says that Moshe's prayer was like a sword that could rip through anything and nothing could stop it because his tfilos were like the Shem HaMaforash, the ineffable name of Hashem, that he learned from certain angels. And it says over there, at that moment when Moshe heard, He hears a shaking that's going on. Okay? And uh, so he was really, this was really a big, big deal. And his prayers were very powerful. Okay? Pretty powerful prayers. So now let's try to parallel this to what the Zohar HaKadosh says. The Zohar HaKadosh says in Parshas Balok, there are three people that when the, the Psalms of Tehillim, three of them start with Tefillah a prayer for of. One says Tefillah Moshe, one says a prayer of Moshe, one says Tefillah David. And one says tefillah to a poor person. Why those three examples? Because Moshe was an Ishalokim, was a man of God. So it wasn't like anybody else. Tefillah David, because David was like a king that was like nobody else. And tefillah the prayer of the poor person. Then the Zohar says, which one of the three is the most important and the most powerful? So he says, Tfilalani, the prayer of the poor. That comes before the prayer of Moshe and the prayer of David. And why? Because the Ani comes with a broken heart. And that's what it says, Karov Hashem, Hashem is close, Lenishperelev, to those with a broken heart. Hashem pays attention, and therefore, the prayers of the Yoni open up all the windows of the heavens. 
So, this is an awesome idea. That we see how powerful Moshe's prayers were. It's like with the shame on a forest. It's like a sword that cuts through everything. But still, he wasn't praying from an impoverished, broken heart, which is even greater than that, as far as Hashem is, co- is concerned. Hashem listens to that. So therefore, when we talk about this idea of bitzor, this expression of prayer at a time of suffering, shouldn't minimize what those prayers are able to accomplish. Yes, question? Be answered. Okay. Next little section in this area, he quotes the Chavetz Chaim in the Sefer Avas Chesed, and the Chavetz Chaim says the following, you have to be very careful that the fear and the pain and the surrendering, that a person surrenders himself at a time of danger and sakana, God forbid, person should be careful to conduct themselves even when he's in a time of tranquility he should behave with surrendering with fear and humility that's what the Chavaz Chaim says and it really comes from a Gemara in Sanhedrin the Gemara in Sanhedrin quoting a Pasuk in Eov which says Hayerach Shavach Lo have you come to set up a cry that no trouble befalls you? Gamor explains that a person should always yaktim adam tefilah A person should preface prayers before sufferings. Why? Because had Avram, you'll see next week's Parsha, had Avram not prefaced the tefillah before the suffering, where it says he davened between base kale and benai, there would not have been anything left of the Jewish people. What's this referring to? It's referring to the battle of Ai that the Jews lost yeah. because they did not. Achan stole from the loot of the battle of Yericho. And Avram already was praying then, hundreds of years before. That's what the Gemara Sanhedrin says. And therefore, what do you see from this? This is the schoola of all schoolos to save yourself from any trouble. Because you got to know, most of the time, the reason for tsaris and suffering is to arouse a person to pray and supplicate before Hashem. As already quoted in the past, the Gemara of Amun says, why were the patriarchs buried? Because Hashem lusted for the prayers. So if a person can preface his screaming out and his prayers before the trouble, he's already fulfilled his obligation and has no need for the trouble to come. And that's why the Chavetz Chaim says, Lizaher, one should be careful. It's not, it, because without that, there is a danger. He's saying, be careful that you should pray when things are in a state of tranquility, but pray as if there's a danger. So if you don't, that means you're, you're inviting dangers to come to you. But when you precede it, that it doesn't come, then there's no need for the person to pray these prayers. And finally, he brings the Ravid, who says a, a Chiddush in Halacha regarding the Machlokas Rishoyim, uh, Rishoyim regarding praying in any language. 
There's a machlokes if you can pray in other languages than Hebrew, under what circumstances. So the Ravid says, according to some interpretations, that if you don't pray in Lashon HaKodesh, the Malachim don't understand it, they don't bring it up to Shemaim. He says, women's prayers are not heard when they pray in a different language, not in a congregation. Because the angels do not bring before HaKadosh Baruch Hu any language of the world except for Lashon Kodesh that they understand. However, when you're with a congregation and the Shekhinah is already there, then women can pray in any language. And they base it also on a Gemara and Sota which discusses certain questions and they answer, it's a difference if you're alone or in a congregation. For example, a chola, a sick person, the Shekhinah is there. So even he can pray in a foreign language because the Shekhinah is there. Okay. But in general, if the Shekhinah isn't there, the language doesn't help. So according to that opinion, how can women pray in another language other than Hebrew unless they're in shul or unless they're next to the sick person? So the answer is, as we've already said, if a person is davening with tears and screaming out because somebody has hurt them, then you don't need the angels to bring it because the gates of tears and the gates of being hurt financially or, or other ways are never closed. And therefore the same thing we could say when a person davens with a lot of kavana because he is suffering. So they are heard even though the malachim don't recognize that. Because you no know, Menasha, the wicked Menasha was davening in Lashon Kodesh, and because of his tshuva, Hashem accepted his prayer, even though the angels did not want to accept his prayers. They didn't want it. But since he, he cried out to Hashem, Hashem listens. So this has halachic implications. If you really feel you're in a tzara, and you're surrendering before Hashem, and you feel like the ani, so that's what it says. Hashem is always listening to the ani. A broken heart, Hashem does not turn away. So this is the idea of bitzur. Okay, that's expression number one. I move on to page Lamed Vav, and we go to the next expression, which is called shava, shin vav ayin hey shava. And you see this in the second chapter of Shmos when the Jewish people were suffering greatly. It says, Vata'al Shava Sam. Their Shava ascended El Elokim to Hashem Minavoda from the difficult work that the Jewish people went through. So again, you have another expression, Shava Sam. What does Shava Sam mean? As opposed to Bitzur that we explain Bitzur to mean a calling out in a time of distress, Shava is crying out requests for mercy. Because the suffering is so great and for what you're lacking is so great, so we're asking for mercy when it's very, very bitter and it's not just asking. And if you want to... uh, have a, an English word that can help you, we'll say hysteria. 
that sometimes people, they get hysterical. They go crazy from the, the tears. They can't, they can't control themselves. And all kinds of screaming comes out. That's shabble. So it's not just that you feel you're in trouble. This is already a deeper expression. Now, very interesting point that Sadiq raises over here, where Pincus raises. If I'd ask you, what would you say is prayer in general? You'll say it's a request of mercy. Requesting for mercy. As Targum explains the word when we say in the Kaddish, Tzolo Sahon Uva Usahon, he explains it as prayer and request. But from all the Medrashim, where we discuss all the different languages of the use of what prayer is, types of prayer, none of the Medrashim use the word, the word bakasha, request. We said that 13 languages of prayer, bitzur, shava, but bakasha is not one of them. Why is it not explained? So he explains the reason why when a person stands before Hashem and you really look at the situation that he's praying to Hashem, that the requests, if they really understood what we were saying, are not simple requests. But they really are very important, awesome things. And it's not just, quote-unquote, a simple request. We look at the word request. What, what's the connotation? Request. I have a request of you. It's usually not something that is uh, coming from a hysterical person. It's not coming from a person who is really in big trouble. Bavakasha, please. No. He says like this. Let's go have a few examples to realize that it's not just a simple thing of a request. Let's say you're asking for Hashem for Parnosa. Would you call that a, a, a mild request, a moderate request, or a severe request? Moderate. Mild. Okay. Let's assume for a moment you don't have Parnos. And you need it. Let's go back, Sid. Not now, where you thank God of a pension. Let's go back ooh, 45 years ago. Right? Remember that far back, Sid? <laughs> you were married then, right? Yeah. Yeah? You're a lot younger. Yeah. You didn't own your house then, did you? Yeah. But you were a teacher then, right? Yeah. Okay, what if, God forbid, you would have got fired then? Okay. Would Parnassa be a little thing or a big thing? Yeah, a big thing. It says in Mishle, if you don't have Parnassa, it brings you to sinning. Okay, that's what it says in Mishle. Lest I become impoverished and I steal, etc., etc. <clears throat> right. Now, you know, people wouldn't be so upset if you have food that's not so good. But what if you have debts beyond the wazoo? And it brings you to do things you normally wouldn't do. You become desperate, and desperate people do desperate things. You might steal, 
You might do a chil Hashem, you might lend with interest, you might get involved in machloikas. So when we ask for parnasa, you got to realize there's no such thing as a simple request. Or how about children? If you don't have children, when you die, you're finished. It's not a little request. Health. Without health, you can't serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's not without health, you're not going to feel good. The Rambam says, in Hilchas Deus, he says, it's so important to have a healthy body. That's from the ways of one who serves Hashem because you cannot serve Hashem if you're sick. You can't understand Hashem. You can't serve Hashem if you are sick. So all the requests that we really make are not simple requests. They're awesome requests because if we would lack these things, it would be eternal truly big problems and we turn to Hashem and if we turn to Hashem with all honesty we see that our requests really our lives depend on these requests and therefore a person when he prays Hashem he has to understand very well what is he asking for and how much he really needs that which he is asking for there are certain things we ask in the Talmudic words are, there's, you know, lechatchila. Well, I really would like this. As opposed to, I must have this. Now, for example, you know, you're making a decent living, and you're going to go to the boss for a raise. No. So you tell Shem, I'd really like the raise. Be nice. But if I don't get it, it's not the end of the world. As opposed to the boss calls in for his annual review and he's left a lot of hints that he's not happy with you. And now you're called in. This is not a question of a raise. This is a question of getting fired. Okay, and then you're fired. No parnasa. That's something your life depends on. If you really understand how important the request is, there's a better chance Hashem will listen to you. That's the point. You have to understand, what are you really asking? As we said in the Hallel today, Dovra Melech keeps using words. Surrounding me are beatings that could kill. And Soros from the bottomless pit. And when he asks to, to do things, these are things he's asking for that his whole life depends on and all around him are all kinds of sakonas. Hashem says, You saved my soul from death. That's the nature of things. When a person comes to make a request, even if Hashem does not want to fulfill your request, but if your mom is screaming out with a shavuah, he has to have mercy. He's saying, Hashem, I can't live this way. Dying would be better than this. I have, I need a salvation. Well, if you're talking that way, and it's true, we're not talking people who are exaggerating. Right? That, that makes a big, big difference for Hashem to listen. And the Gemara gives an example 
about one of the people who was living in the times of the Yoshua. His name was Yavetz. And there's a whole discussion. Um, what was the, why was he called Yavetz, etc., etc. And he goes through a whole pasuk. And uh, the prayer that he said was, If you will bless me, for and my, my borders will expand. In your hand will be with me. And you'll give me pasture so I won't have any troubles. Then it says, Hashem brought everything he asked for. So Gomorrah says, what was he asking for? So give two interpretations. One was, and I was going through all the words again, if you bless me, with Torah. If you increase my boundaries with students. If your hand will be with me, so I won't forget my learning from my heart. And if you look me pasture, not pasture, but rather the root is you bring me good friends and Torah learning. Without any sadness, that the Yetzirah shouldn't trick me to change. And if you do this, that's good. And if not, I'm going to go to the bottomless pit. Whoa, immediately Hashem answered what he asked for. Interesting, said immediately. Because as she said, if you don't give this, I'm as like I'm a dead person. I need to be, you know, this was the whole story with Rabbi Leazar ben Horkinus. Rabbi Leazar ben Horkinus, as it says in the uh of Rabbi Leazar, it says he was a, not a very smart young man. He was then, never went to yeshiva. And he wanted to go to yeshiva. And he was crying and he was crying and he was crying. If you go through that whole story, he always is crying to Hashem. There is no life without Torah. Person who cries that way, you're realizing that it is a, a, a terrible, terrible state that the person is in. So Hashem, how could a father not answer that? So I said, well, it'd be nice if I got into this yeshiva. But that's not the most important thing. Well, okay, yeah, Hashem doesn't have to answer it. And there's another commentary. The Gemara gives a second interpretation of what he asked for. He said, you will bless me with children. And he said, and continue to just explain, with boys and with girls, and I'll succeed in business, and I won't have headaches, and I won't be sick, so the HR won't trick me to go off the path. If you do this, fine. If not, I'm also going down to hell, so to speak. So again, Hashem answered right away. So it doesn't have to only be requests of Torah. Okay. But even if it's business and I shouldn't be sick, these are things that a person really needs, as we already explained before. If a person doesn't have Yeshua Das, if you don't have presence of mind, how can you really serve Hashem properly? So we see that we have to understand, you know, what are we asking for? To really think deeply, what is it that we're saying for? And that can bring us to a level of Shava. And really, if we look, this was the Avoda of the earlier giants of the Jewish people. Whatever they would do, they weren't happy to just do it and do it well. But they would do it to the best of their ability imaginable. For example, 
David HaMelech, when he brought in the ark, before they're bringing the ark in, he was dancing, it says, he was dancing like crazy. Right? And, and, and after he did that, he had no strength anymore after he danced. Okay. So we know, for example, let's say when a person's in danger, trying to run away from fire, we know you get these special hormones start getting activated, and you can do things you never could do before, right? You could all of a sudden run like a Olympian. But David, it was just a regular simcha, the simcha of the Torah, simcha Torah. And he was dancing in the craziest way as if he was on fire. So we see that the, that the great tzaddikim, they just didn't do things. It was everything. Um, uh, and, and we and the Gemara in Sanhedrin talks about the patriarchs when they would run to do Hashem's will. They're running like horses. That's how they say, beyond what they normally could run, almost like they're flying. Okay, their love to Hashem was on fire. So clearly, it, when they daven, they didn't just stop them a little bit. But he's saying it's but here but by prayer you don't even have to be like the patriarch. You don't have to be like David Amelech. If a person would only think about what you're praying for. We say, for example, these words on Shabbos all the time. Purify our hearts to serve you in truth. Now what is that? What do you mean when you say that? It sounds very nice, but what does it really mean? <laughs> Purify our hearts to serve you in truth. Well, a person, if you realize what Tevekos is all about, if you're feeling this, well, without this, why do am I even alive? It's more important than anything else. And if I don't have this, it's like I feel like I'm going to hell. Because it's the worst pay is not to serve Hashem in truth. And without that, uh, you know, it, 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 the worst pains could happen. It doesn't compare to this. All right. Or we say to Hashem, B'nai Beischa Kivat Rebuild your temple like it used to be. How much feelings we should have to wondering of this. To, to, to what it means to have a base Amigdash. And, and if you don't have a base Amigdash, they say about Rabbi Akiva when he was at the funeral of Rabbi Lazar Hagadol, he was hitting himself until blood was flowing. He was self-flagellating. And the Torah was asked, you're not allowed to do that. The Torah says, Lo siskodu. you're not allowed to make incisions in your body if a person dies. What was Rabbi Akiva doing? Gemara says, it's different if it's for Torah. So what does that mean? So they say in the name of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, why are you not allowed to gash yourself when somebody dies? It says, because you are children of God and you should not gash yourselves. Someone who gashes themselves at a funeral, he's showing that, uh, that he doesn't have the relative. Life is not worth living. And Torah says, don't ever say that. You are children of Hashem. How can you say your life is not worth living when it's a God who loves you and is so close to you? 
However, if your Rebbe dies and you feel your Torah is missing, then you're allowed to. Because if you're missing Torah, you're missing life. And you can even put a, put dash yourself. And you should mommy should be crying hysterically. Okay, so you can understand how Rabbi Akiva felt the crying, the despair, a life without his Rebbe, Rabbi Eliezer Hagodol. Even though Rabbi Akiva himself was one of the greatest Tanoim. But he still felt terrible. Can you imagine us? How terrible we should feel if great rabbis die. Or to have the feel if we had a base on Mikdash. If we had a base on Mikdash, would these little children have been beheaded? Certainly not. So therefore we have to really come to the understanding how great what we're really asking for. It's not just going through the motions. What does it mean to not have a base on Mikdash? Okay. And it's obviously, this is the way prayer should be. And this is it's obviously, it's also beyond us. Don't feel bad if you don't feel that way. But you could maybe sometimes touch it a little bit. A little bit. A little once in a while during prayer. And... And it shouldn't be, you know, phony. Oh, well, the rabbi said I should scream out and start screaming. No, it can't be phony screaming out. It's got to be an inner scream. And to understand intellectually how this is such an important thing. And from the depths of his thoughts and from his heart, he should be screaming out. And you can get used to doing such a thing. He, Reb Chaim Volazhin, relates regarding learning. He says, you know, sometimes a person can learn in one hour and accomplish in one hour what other people accomplish in ten hours. It all depends on your alacrity. So too the same thing can be about prayer. A person can get to one moment of real feelings that he's mamish before Hashem and his whole life depends on it and he invests it even for just a couple moments but he throws everything into this to want to get close to Hashem. Or let's say, God forbid, you're in a terrible trouble. Okay? And you can pray from such a depth, but you don't have to necessarily be screaming so loud, but the feeling is so intense inside. In that one moment, you can get very close to Hashem and feel a love and a dvekus and a, and a help from Hashem. And if you feel it once, you can try to feel it again and again and again. So you don't have to say to yourself, well, I have to have now the whole mincha has to be on fire. No, if even a minute of it is on fire, to really feel what you're asking for. So let's let's think. <clears throat> We're diving for Klal Yisrael. Now imagine what would happen if all of a sudden these bombs start hitting the major cities and every bomb is knocking out 20,000 Jews. Let's say for one day, God forbid, the Iron Dome, they don't work. And a half a million Jews in Israel were killed. Is it serious? Do we have to wait for that to happen? <laughs> and then these guys joking, you know, they said, had Israel not responded after five hours, these guys would have killed the whole South. It's not like they just want to send a warrant. They want to kill us all. Their goal is to kill us all. 
And if Israel loses, they don't, lose only, as they say, only has to lose one battle. You lose one battle, you're finished. So we've got to realize this, this is what we're davening for. It's not just for you and not just for your kids. This is, this is the, whole, the whole thing is out there and not to be fooled. So that, to get that moment of the Shavah, this prayer where it's mamish of hysteria, but not in a hysteria that you're never going to come back from it, but a, a, a short hysterical moment that I could not live without this. This is the other level that we have. Okay, stop it over here.